Welcome to the Jason and Scott Show, your source for the latest news and trends in the e-commerce industry. Featuring host Jason Retail Geek Goldberg, SVP of Commerce at Razorfish, and Scott Wingo, founder and executive chairman of Channel Advisor. Here are Jason and Scott. Welcome to the Jason and Scott Show. This is episode 100 being recorded on Thursday, September 7th, 2017. I'm your host, Jason Retail Geek Goldberg, and as usual, I'm here with your co-host, Scott Wingo. Hey, Jason, and welcome back, Jason and Scott Show listeners. Jason, how are you doing? I am doing awesome. It's super exciting to be at episode 100. It really is. And before we jump into it too deep, I wanted to announce that we will be podcasting again at the shop.org digital summit. This year, the summit is being held in sunny Los Angeles on September 25th to 27th. Jason Scott show listeners receive a 10% discount when they register using the code JS10. That's JS10. And we will put a link to the registration in the show notes where you can enter that code. We hope to see everyone there. Jason, as we mentioned, uh, we've hit a pretty big milestone here with 100 episodes. I know, I know. I uh, I have to be honest, when we started this, uh, 100 episodes were not on my radar screen. I had sort of read a podcast primer, and it mentioned that, like, if you get past uh, episode seven, you've sort of survived the mortality rate. So I think my big goal was was seven. And I've since then read that the average podcast on iTunes only ever gets 24 episodes. Yeah, yeah. And uh, we officially have more episodes than listeners now. Just kidding. We actually, <laughs> yeah, we that's, actually that's have... because I have a small family. If I had a bigger family, we'd have more <laughs> listeners. <laughs> that's actually uh, it's kind of fun to break down some numbers. So um, when we started this, I don't know about you, but I really didn't have many expectations. I just thought we'd do it for the fun uh, aspect of it. Uh, and looking back, it's kind of blown my expectations, uh, which were admittedly low. So we've had over 200,000 downloads uh, since we started the show. Uh, we The record month had over 18,000. That was over the summer in June because we had so much Amazon news going on. The most popular episode is uh, the June 17th hot take we did, which is episode 89, where we talked about the Amazon and Whole Foods acquisition. Uh, and then as a reminder for everyone, we, we actually started this whole adventure on November 13th, 2015 with episode one. I, I do have a quiz for you, Jason. How many, how many episodes have we recorded? Uh, this will be our 101, including the one I screwed up and we didn't get to publish. Boom. Good answer. Inside info. But yeah, 100 episodes. So, so pretty exciting. I, I share your, your enthusiasm. Uh, seems like we should, should be doing something special for the 100th show. Yeah. Yeah. And a couple months ago, we um, were, were, were pretty good at math. So we kind of saw this coming on the calendar and we started thinking about what we should do to celebrate 100 episodes. Yep. And uh, uh, obviously, one of the first things that come up is, uh, as many listeners know, uh, Jeff Bezos is constantly hounding us to be on the show. And so for a while we were thinking, hey, that's a perfect opportunity to finally uh, let Jeff on the show. But then, you know, we thought about it. And the reality is this show is for the listeners. It's not really about the fancy guests. So we turned him down. Yeah, you know, we 
Bezos gives us stuff to talk about, but without listeners who who would care. So uh, what we did is we decided to really kind of turn the microphone around. So we we went to Twitter and and looked at uh, the social engagement that we get. And we have a really active community here for the show that we really enjoy and uh, causes a lot of back and forth. And everyone challenges us and recommends things and asks questions. So we, we thought what we would do is have a listener appreciation event in celebration of episode 100. So we somewhat randomly picked three listeners from different geographies uh, all over the world, if you will. Uh, these folks work at all kinds of different size companies and have different kinds of roles. And we invited them tonight to be on the show to hear about their e-commerce experience and uh, where they think e-commerce is going and just kind of turn it over to the listeners for for a bit and give everyone a little bit of break from hearing from us for the last hundred episodes. Yeah. Yeah. I'm super excited about this idea and, you know, frankly, pleasantly shocked that uh, everyone we invited accepted our invitation. Um, So Scott, who's the first guest? Well, Jason, let's kick it off. Uh, Excited to have our first guest here for the listener appreciation show. Uh, We know him best by his Twitter handle, which is Rads, R-A-D-Z, and that's at R-A-D-Z-M-P-O-F-U on Twitter. What's up, Rads? Not much. Just wrapping up the day here. How about you? Uh, we're super excited. We hit a hundred episodes. Jason didn't think we'd make it past five and I had, uh, the long money on, uh, going the long haul on this thing. So we're at a hundred and we're, uh, we're pretty excited. Yeah. I, I have to say that I would have to agree with you because when I first remember seeing the Jason and Scott show come out, I was just like, Oh my gosh, I have needed this for so long. That was like at the start of my retail career. So, yeah, I, I totally knew you guys were going to get past 100. I don't know why Jason would say that. <laughs> <laughs> cool. So you're you're uh, you're going to check two boxes for us here for the first time. You're you're the first kind of super listener we've had on the show. And then also you're the first international correspondent. So you're you're actually oh, wow. not in the United States of America. Nope. I'm in Toronto or the six, as Drake would say. Ah, OK. Uh, and is it snowing there? Uh, no, not yet, but it is raining a lot. Okay. Uh, we've had a, we've had a pretty interesting summer where it's just been, uh, had that Seattle and BC weather where it's raining a lot. <laughs> and in the long run, does that mean it's good or bad for the ice wine this year? <laughs> I have no idea. <laughs> Those are my, my, I mainly focus on the food of every venue. So for me, Toronto is ice wine and poutine, even though I know poutine is really Montreal, but you can get it in in Toronto. Yeah, that's true. But you you, you forgot uh, you got to check out Uncle Tetsu's cheesecake as well as uh, uh, smoke uh, smoke signals barbecue. Those are two really good spots. Those are the two true two true Toronto staples. Nice. I am adding those to the list. Uh, that I feel like the show has already paid off for me. Um, <laughs> So, Reds, uh, you mentioned that you you were first started listening to the show. You were starting your retail career. Uh, you want to tell us a little bit more about uh, what that was and what you're doing now? Yeah, for sure. So, even to like rewind a little bit back, even before that, I actually started uh, my e-commerce sales career in uh, at a company called AshleyBridget.com. So, I was there when we were still like in a basement, making maybe you know a few hundred thousand dollars and they scaled to over a million. Um, so that being part of that company, like they doubled revenues like every year since after that. But that experience, I think, really helped me get to become a part of Tulip, which is where I started 
uh, started my retail uh, my retail career. And uh, for those of you that don't know, uh, Tulip was founded by the founder of Well.ca. Um, he's also, I think, he also played a key role in like making the game. Uh, do you guys remember the the BlackBerry game, Brick Breaker? Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah, he was involved in doing that as well. Um, so yeah, I started my career at Tulip. That was in uh, March 2015, and I think a few months after that, you guys started the Jason and Scott show. Cool. And then uh, where has your career taken you now? Uh, so I've now shifted to a company called PagerDuty, and uh, a lot of people, especially in the IT, uh, the IT and DevOps world, they they definitely know about PagerDuty. It's almost like a household name. Uh, we we were actually mentioned on uh, Silicon Valley recently. Uh, some, I think it was Gilfoyle. He told uh, Dinesh that he was on PagerDuty until he got back in the house. He was leaving to go somewhere. But yeah, basically PagerDuty automates uh, the incident resolution process from end to end. So a lot of that stuff is being done manually right now. So, you know, you have like an Excel spreadsheet. Um, the site goes down, you call somebody on it, or there's too many monitoring tools to you know, really get the, the key incidents that you need to resolve, um, resolved. So PagerDuty automates all of that. Cool. Well, every e-commerce site wants to be up 24 seven. So I think, you know, you say you're out of the retail business, but I think you've just kind of gone to a broader addressable market. And I'm, I'm sure our vehicle yeah. is probably interesting to your folks. Oh yeah, no, definitely. We actually just, it's funny that you mentioned that. Uh, we just started a, a big retail campaign. So all of my coworkers, they're all pinging me um, for, for people's contacts. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, definitely. I, I'm still very much plugged into the retail game only I'm doing it through all my coworkers who, who are trying to, you know, get in touch with me, get in touch with retail executives through me. Cool. And you know, you, what podcast you can recommend if they want to learn more, right? It's, oh, I've already been saying, I've been already been telling them, don't worry. I got what covered. <laughs> we, we have a vested interest in PagerDuty cracking the retail market because, you know, it's, it's going to be sad to go to like the industry shows like shop.org and not see you. Exactly. I think you needed to tell our uh, CEO and our heads of marketing that uh, Jennifer Tejada, if you ever end up listening to this, please, uh, we should go to shop talk next year. Exactly. And I, uh, shop.org. Oops, got that one yeah. mixed up. Both good shows. Both good shows. Oh the, yeah, both really good shows. The I actually have a photo of you, and it may, I I think uh -oh. technically it's from neither. I think it was probably from NRF, um, and you you had your then employer's logo shaved into the side of your head. Oh yeah. Okay. Okay. I thought you were gonna go uh, in a different direction with that one. There's a <laughs> there was another photo of someone who's on stage. Didn't may have looked like me. I don't know. Maybe. But yeah, I, I definitely remember that one. Uh, I think that was that was uh, that was in January, and I think uh, Dominique Essig actually mentioned that from Bonobos on, on on a previous show. I think I got a shout out because of that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Although we never saw you put Jason and Scott show logo in your in your head. So. Don't worry, that's coming ne next time. Okay. Next right. uh, okay. next shop talk, you'll see me with it. <laughs> that's gonna take a more more talented barber than the, the two of them. <laughs> yeah, I think so. I think so. I was always yeah. thinking maybe just the J plus S. But nice. I, I don't yeah. think that would do it. I don't think that would do it at all. Yeah, no, you need portraits of two portly dudes inside of your head. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, Rads, two quick ones. Have you listened to every episode? I wish I could say that I have, but I think the last one that I listened to since I've been ramping up at PagerDuty was uh, the one with the Excel partners. And then um, one that was either just before that or just after that was with uh, – the CEO of um, the CEO of Kohl's, 
and Mod Clop. I remember listening to those ones. So I think I'm about 20 episodes behind at this point. Cool. You'll have to just uh, drive to Florida and you could uh, pick them all up. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Or I'll uh, do it on my next uh, plane trip to uh, San Francisco. Binge with cool. me. Exactly. What were, uh, what were a couple of your favorite shows? So I think my favorite show, uh, obviously, I can't, I, I can't not do it, but Dom's uh, episode on Bonobos, that was my favorite one. But also uh, the ones with Rob Schmoltz uh, from Talbots, as well as uh, Faisal Masood um, from Staples. Those were like really those were I think those are probably like my top three um, favorite ones. But I, but also I, I think all the um, a, a lot of the retail executive um, interviews were like a, among my favorite ones. Those ones, you know, I got to learn so much about, you know, what's going on in retail and all the changes that have, you know, have happened this year. Um, and I'm sure that that'll continue. So I think those ones were all my favorite ones. Very cool. Uh that being said, any uh, as one of our super listeners, we're we're always looking to make the show better. Anything um, you feel like we could be doing better? Any uh, uh, tips for things we should think about trying? Uh, so I thought about this, and I think what you guys have done is really cool. You know, you have the deep dives as well as um, the, uh, the 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 retail executive interviews. So I'd love to see maybe a little bit of a panel. You know, between, you know, maybe not people that are like opposing in views, but would love to, you know, find out, maybe get like the behind the scenes story from, you know, what happened at Sears, maybe not like, you know, anything like bad that happened, but like, you know, where they thought they may have like misaligned. So like maybe a previous executive from there and then, you know, maybe get somebody from Walmart or one of the up and or one of the more up and coming retail brands to, to kind of, you know, have that contrast in between, um, you know, the, the retailers that could have done better or they're now falling by the wayside and the ones that are doing really well and see if they can um, meet in the middle ground in, in terms of like where they think the industry is going and what could be done better by the retailers that, you know, are still, um, still doing well. Cool. Where do you, uh, where do you see the future of retail and e-commerce heading? I, I think uh, right now it's still uh, very much in a state of upheaval. Um, you know, like uh, I, I remember I was actually keeping tabs of all the retailers that either went belly up or like were struggling really, really tough. I think there was like it's, the year started off with like BCBG and then the limited. And then I actually even remember seeing um, HMV um, at Young and Dundas Square here in Toronto. That's kind of like the Union Square of Toronto um, for the San Francisco people out there. Uh, so I remember seeing that one shut down as well. And then, you know, American Apparel, I, I think all of these um a lot of these retail brands, I, I'm hoping it doesn't continue, but it looks like it will. I think there's still going to be a lot more, uh, a, a lot more unfortunate scenes like that. Uh, but on top of that, to kind of, uh, you know, balance that, I would say that there might even be more consolidation that's going to happen. I, I, a lot of people were saying that it might not happen, but from what we've seen from Walmart this year with the acquisition of Moose Jaw and uh, Bonobos, um, then also more recently with uh, some of the, the, the shoe retailers, I think there was Michael Kors just acquired Jimmy Choo. And then on top of that, uh, Vince Camuto was acquired by Aldo or vice versa. So, uh, yeah, I think there's definitely going to be a lot more retailers that are going under if they don't figure out how to go digital and, you know, kind of, you know, modernize their, their in-store experience. And then on top of that, uh, there's going to be a lot more consolidation. 
That's very cool. Uh, I, I definitely want to get one question in that we've actually asked every guest, but Scott keeps making me edit the answer out. Um, so, so hopefully for the hundredth episode, I'll finally get to get it in there. Uh, okay. Would, would you say that you like Jason a little better than Scott or way better than Scott? I would say that the two of you, I hold you both very near and dear in my heart, and there's no way I could pick between the two of you. Oh, so you lied. You were willing to be honest about everything else, and then you lie on that one. All right. <laughs> Good answer. He's uh, he's texting me right now saying that I'm his favorite. So. <laughs> you weren't supposed to say that. <laughs> I have a kind of a sales question, which is, uh, you know, so you're you're there in Canada and Toronto, and yeah. you're, I imagine, you know, I don't, you have territories that are, you know, across the continent, is it hard to be a sales rep in Canada selling to the U S or doesn't feel different at all than if you were in New York or something? Um, no, I don't think it's that, it's that different at all. I think it actually might even play to your advantage. We're, we're kind of seen as the, uh, we had this running joke, um, at my previous company at Tulip that everybody always saw us in the, in the States as the friendly Canadians. We were always just willing to accommodate versus, you know, kind of like the, uh, I don't want to generalize, but, you know, the, the, the ones that play hardball in New York or something like that. So I, I think it definitely plays to our advantage. Um, I would say that it's probably tougher to sell within Canada versus outside of Canada. Canadians sometimes don't like buying from Canadians. I will say that much. <laughs> <laughs> Interesting. Uh, I feel like we do have the perception that that uh, all Canadians are super friendly. I mean, I, it, it's like I'm sorry is sort of a catchphrase for Canadians. Yeah, I know. Right. I actually had was made fun of in an Uber. I took uh, Uber pool for one of the first times um, on a recent business trip. And uh, the gentleman in the back, just uh, when he found out that it was uh, from Canada, he was just like, oh, are you going to say I'm sorry a lot? And he even put on the Canadian accent. So it, it's, it's definitely uh, known across uh, across America. I, I totally get it. This may offend you, but I am uh, frequently mistaken as a Canadian. Like people feel like I have a Canadian accent, which I, I, I've never lived in Canada. Uh, but, uh, can you I, say about, I, I, de- I definitely can go about, but, um, that's because, you know, <laughs> did a lot of work in Minneapolis, which is little known fact, but it's actually North of Canada is a lot of Minneapolis. Um, yeah, yeah. I've heard that culturally, uh, I used to make that joke, and then I married a woman from Detroit, and I learned that Detroit actually is north of Canada. Canada yeah. You you drive south to go to Windsor to drink when you're 18. That's the whole that's the whole gig when you grow up in Detroit, apparently. Yeah, yeah, I've heard uh, a lot of people say that, and even on the the opposite end, uh, uh, back in I'd say what the 70s and 80s, a lot of people would drive down from Toronto and Windsor to the States to, to go check out hip hop shows because uh, there was nothing in Canada. Wow. Certainly not true anymore. Toronto is like the, it's got a lot of great hip hop. Yeah. Yeah. You got the, you got Drake and the weekend and all those guys. Uh, very cool. Well, listen, Rhett, we greatly appreciate your, uh, loyal following and, uh, the, the suggestions you've sent all along. And, uh, uh, we look forward to uh, getting you back in the industry and getting you all caught up on the show. So thanks very much for being part of episode 100. Yeah, thanks a lot for having me, guys. And hopefully, I'll uh, you'll you'll be seeing me at, at a lot more retail shows. I'm gonna I'm gonna use this as uh, as, as leverage internally at PagerDuty. <laughs> awesome. Thanks, Rads. We really appreciate it. All right. All right. Thanks, guys. Have a great night. 
Okay, Jason, our next listener on Listener Appreciation Episode 100 is Kevin Harmon. I've known Kevin for, gosh, I don't know, probably 15 to 20 years. He's one of the the longest-term eBayers I've met. I think we met at one of the early eBay live shows, and he has been a huge fan of the show. Welcome to the show, Kevin. Thanks, Scott. Thanks, Jason. How are you guys? We are terrific. It's the 100th episode. What could be better? Boom. That's right. Yeah, so yeah, we we really appreciate you taking time out of your busy schedule to join us. Um, So I'll let Jason kick it off. Yeah, so Kevin, um, Scott mentioned you've been a longtime eBay seller. Do you want to give us the the background about how you got into the e-com biz and what you're doing today? Sure. I've been in e-commerce for a long time. I think 2001 is when we started. And for about 10 years, I we uh, stayed in the media side. We sold uh, DVDs and CDs and video games and books on uh, eBay and Amazon and other places. Did that for a long time. And uh, for some weird reason, books and CDs and <laughs> DVDs and video games stopped selling so well. Uh, so we moved on uh, to another uh, couple couple things we're doing then. And then now what we do is I have another company that sells clothing and books now. Very cool. And and predominantly as a marketplace seller? Yes, 100%. So we're sort of, uh, you know, eBay PhDs, Amazon PhDs. We know a lot about both and we do the best we can. Nice. And are you mostly focused on North America? So those are the two two big platforms for you? That's it. Gotcha. Uh, and we do often talk about the Walmart marketplace as well. Have you looked at that at all or... Yeah, we actually are looking into that, uh, Walmart and, and Jet as well. So we think that uh, that might be a pretty viable thing coming down the road here. Cool. Um, so I know you listen to a lot of the episodes. Have you listened to every episode? I've listened to so many episodes that, that Jason, I'm going to call you out on this. I think you've said uh, welcome to the Jason Snot Show about six times now. <laughs> I didn't even catch that. <laughs> Oh man, so, somewhere in the episode you have said Jason's not show. I laugh so hard every time. So yes, I've, I've I've heard a lot of the episodes. That's a special service to the fans that I I give to the the loyal listeners. <laughs> yep. It's a. I mean, to be honest, it's a it's a Freudian slip. Um, my other podcast is called the Jason and Snot Show. Oh, that's so strange. Yeah, it's for, yeah. It's for ENTs. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Cool. Uh, yeah, what I've are a couple, that several times. I know it's hard to pick, but what are a couple of your favorite shows? I think my favorite one was uh, the one with uh, Melissa Burdick from the Mars Agency, uh, just because you know of my Amazon experience, and uh, she seemed super knowledgeable about Amazon, and that was a really good conversation you guys had with her. I really enjoyed the uh, the whole thing about you know crap, which was hilarious. Everyone loves a good crap joke. The uh, yeah. Whenever whenever I talk to Melissa, I have to have like six Mountain Dews. She talks so fast, I can't I can't listen that fast normally. So I have to really get pumped up. Yeah, and yeah, I, she's super knowledgeable. And since we're talking about her, I should give her a plug. She's actually no longer with the Mars Agency. Uh, uh, Melissa and another of our guests um, uh, have started their own business, which is now called uh, Lay and Burdick, which is a uh, an Amazon uh, consultancy. So that's Andrea that's really Lay, cool. right? Scott, do I am I remembering correctly? 
Yeah, I think they should call it like Mel B and Andrea or something hipper, but I, they didn't ask me. Now, I was debating with Scott. Uh, she was trying to find a, an, an acronym for a crap for uh, Amazon Canada. And I came up with a great one. Scott didn't like it, but I'm going to tell you guys anyway, which is it's, it's not crap, it's poop, which is probably only offline profit. <laughs> okay. Good. I'll take it. I like it. I didn't know where you were going with yeah. that one, so phew. Yeah, no, no, we're good. <laughs> uh, well, you know, one of the things we're always trying to do is improve the show. And so as a, one of our best listeners that's heard the majority of our shows, uh, any feedback you have, anything we should be doing different or that drives you nuts? No, the only thing that drives me nuts is, you know, Scott's unbridled enthusiasm for Amazon domination. I mean, it's, it's a, it, it's, I, I wish there was more counterpoint to that every once in a while. It's, it's cool to, uh, you know, it's cool to watch a hurricane make landfall unless you're, <laughs> unless you're one of the people on the land that's falling on. But uh, besides that, the show is, the show is great. Uh, I, I think, I think it'd be great to have like a, um, I don't know, a chat room or, you know, take, take live Twitter questions, et cetera, a little more often, just, just to, just to involve your audience more. Yeah, no, that's great feedback. We definitely are looking for ways. It it's actually one of the de- the deficiencies of the podcast format is, you know, we don't have a way, for example, to email all of our listeners and get questions or those sorts of things. So you have to use a a parallel tool like Facebook or Twitter, and you know, uh, it's a very loyal but small subset of our podcast listeners are are following us on those other platforms. So uh, we love to find more ways to engage more customers and, and get more feedback. But that. It's certainly a great suggestion. I do feel the need to slightly uh, defend us, though. Uh, totally hear you on the Amazon world domination, and I would love to be the the counterpoint more loudly. But I, I continue to be shocked. I work with all these sort of big Fortune 100 retailers, and it's still more often than not that I walk into a, a retailer that dramatically underestimates Amazon as the competition um, and so, like, they absolutely have flaws, and there are absolutely ways to uh, to thrive in in uh, the market against them, and and all those sorts of things. Um, but I, it, it still turns out that like more of the people in our industry than I would expect underestimate them rather than overestimate them. So, so you know, maybe we err on the side of hitting that a little hard. But I, I, I often feel like I have to be an evangelist for how serious a threat they are. Uh, so much so that one of my biggest clients. The uh, they think they have a funny nickname for me. They call me Paul Revere. <laughs> <laughs> well, he was right. I mean, the uh, that is that is actually very amazing uh, when you see, when you look at what Amazon has done. I mean, they're an, they're an amazing amazing company that has they operate on their own set of rules. You know that are sort of unique in the world. And uh, yeah, they're going to disrupt everything sooner or later, probably sooner. Cool. That that's a good transition. You you've been kind of in the marketplace biz for. You know, let's see, 2001, you know, 15, 20 years. What are some of the big trends that you've seen and, and where do you where do you think the marketplace part of the world goes? I think the marketplace continues, but I, it seems to me like um, it's a lot easier to start a business than it used to be for sure. You know, 15 years ago when we started, that was quite an effort. And, and now uh, with all the tools available now, it's a lot easier to get into a business. But I also think that there's a lot of consolidation going on. So I think it's harder to grow a business and, you know, grow into a large business in particular. 
and I think it's because these large sites, you know, Amazon, Facebook, Google, they're beginning to own more and more of the entire end-to-end process. And so the more pieces they own of that, the less of an advantage you have. Uh, even if you sell on their platforms, it can still sometimes be a disadvantage. So I think e-commerce continues and grows like crazy. I, I don't. I have concern for the really small business owners, though, going forward. Yeah, and it's interesting because I have that same concern, and you know, you and I have known. We probably know more people that have gotten out of the business than are still in it. Um, yes. And then, but then, what kind of countercyclically happens there is if you follow like some of these small business platforms like Magento, BigCommerce, and Shopify. They're exploding. Mm-hmm. So there's these, you know, it seems like there's these merchants out there that have uh, that are doing well. Like Shopify just hit, I think, the 500,000th small store owner. Um, so I kind of wonder, like, who are those people? And you know, that that seems to be where things have shifted. The marketplaces have got so competitive that the a lot of folks have gone to just creating their own little dot coms. But then I don't quite understand how they're going to, you know, differentiate themselves and get their their name out there. Well, I think that's exactly right. So 15 years ago, the easiest way to start was on eBay, right? So every small company in the world started on eBay, and then they sort of grew or didn't grow according to eBay's growth or Amazon's growth. And now with Shopify and the other uh, consolidated sites where you can do a lot of different things on one place, now everything is shifting to uh, .com. And and uh, that's a that's a big change. I don't know. I, I mean, I, I can't I can't judge its level of success over anything else yet. I think it's too soon, but it's a, definitely a, a there's a big change in the marketplace, even in the last two or three years. Yeah, it's it is fascinating. I mean, like I would argue that even if you're a really successful Amazon seller, that like or or any plat, uh, marketplace seller, like that that shouldn't be your only platform. That you should you should have a presence on a platform you own, and to the the expense extent that you do earn your own traffic and aren't, you know, uh, and earn your own customers, like you don't want to be actively driving them to the marketplace. You, you do want to be driving them to that, that platform you own. So I, I totally get why the, the Shopify's of the world would be successful alongside the, the big marketplaces. Um, but as, as you guys are both aware, like, you know, painfully difficult and expensive to grow, a a meaningful audience on that on that digital property that you own versus you know taking advantage of the the incredible traffic that that Amazon in particular has built. It's very true, and you know I've always I've always looked at Amazon and eBay fees as as a as a marketing expense, as an advertising expense. You know you're you're paying those fees; they bring you the customers. And so you know on your own dot com, it's you're on your own until you bring customers to you. It's a much different situation and much more difficult situation. But if you can, if you can achieve it, uh, I think you have a lot better chance of surviving long term. Yeah, for sure. We, we used to, uh, I used to have this kind of derogatory term for people that uh, brands that tried to use Facebook as their only digital platform. Um, And Facebook, Facebook's a wonderful tool. uh, But I used to call them digital sharecroppers because they're, you know, you're, you're planting your crops, you're, you're putting all your equity in this land that you don't own. Um, and, you know, in the early days, Facebook changed the terms and conditions of how you could use that land very frequently. And that, you know, was a huge disruption to, to all those brands. And, uh, it, you know, it does feel like 
the marketplaces today are are very similar to that. Like there there are huge opportunities there, but you are a digital sharecropper. Like you know, if the day that marketplace decides that they've hit some critical mass and don't need you anymore, um, you know that your 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 business is definitely in jeopardy. So it's it, it it's uh, scary to have all those eggs in that in that one basket. It's good to own some land of your own. Yep, and that that's been a major change in the last couple of years as well. So so back in the day. You know, eBay would, and Scott can attest to this. I think he even said one time that it feels like people are just kind of pulling levers over there sometimes where on any six-month period, they could make a complete change to their marketplace that really disrupted a lot of their seller base. They would get used to that, and then a year later, something else would come along, and it just kept going like that where you could never really establish an eBay presence. Amazon, on the other hand, they launched a product. The product didn't change at all. It was solid for, for a long, long time until the last, I'd say, a couple of years. And now Amazon's grown to the point where they're implementing uh, new rules, new changes that, you know, can hurt some sellers, uh, can help other sellers. But but uh, it's almost like Amazon let you grow your business bigger before they decide that it needs you. And I don't know which is, I don't know what the worst scenario is there. You know, you can get shaken off by eBay or you can get kind of get trampled on by Amazon at some point. Uh, either have, Either have those risks, which again, why... I'm sure every consultant tells people to sell in multiple marketplaces and make sure their .com is the priority. Yep. Uh, uh, so uh, keeping the fan show light, uh, let's turn um, to a, a, a much more important topic. Uh, I heard a rumor that you rival Scott as a Star Wars fan. Boy, that depends on what metric you're talking about, but uh, I'm a huge Star Wars fan, absolutely. I have, I have a, an R2-D2. <laughs> Big question. What's your favorite movie? In the oh, Star Empire, Wars franchise. Empire. Empire. Every, every, every nerd will answer that same question the same way. Some people, I'm hearing more Return of the Jedi's these days. It's kind of interesting. In our generation, they're, they're kind of starting to warm to that one. The uh, tricky question is, is what's the best one of the, of the, the three new ones? That's the tough one. Yeah, Episode one, two, or three. Oh, the prequels, yeah. Yes. <laughs> uh, another one, another tricky one. Are you, if you could only watch one more movie this year, would you do Blade Runner or, uh, let's see, we've got, isn't there another Marvel one coming up? And then, then you have Last Jedi. What, is it Last Jedi bar none or would you consider some of the others? Man, that's a tough one. I mean, it's, yes, it's definitely Last Jedi, but I, I am really looking forward to Blade Runner. I, uh, I think Ridley Scott, you, you got the right guy, you've got the right directors, you've got the right characters again. I'm, I'm really, really hopeful that they can do something spectacular with that. Uh, so the question I always like to ask, and this may be the, the wrong audience for this, um, but uh, so I have a two-year-old son. What order should I be showing him the movies? Machete. These, the Star Wars movies? Yeah. I would say four, five, six, seven, eight. Don't even show them the prequels. <laughs> okay, I get four, five, six first a lot, but that uh, that's a the skip the prequels is a good one. There, there is like there's some fan edits of the prequels that are much better. Like I wonder, could we replace the? Could we make one of those the official canon instead of the the George Lucas versions? Well, you could probably edit those three movies together to make one pretty good movie i mean it's you know definitely cool things happened but boy yep hard to pick one and it's hard to even recommend them 
I think none of the fan edits that I've seen that are, you know, some of these have had millions of hits on, on YouTube. None of them have Jar Jar Binks in them at all. <laughs> well, that, that's hard, huh? I, I think uh, the one with uh, Darth Maul, I, I'm sure you guys have seen that if you're a fan, uh, is amazing. Really good, really good fan fiction there. Yep. Uh, and I, I, I apologize for digressing, but like perhaps my, the funniest Star Wars thing I ever saw on television is, do you guys remember when, uh, uh, Stephen Colbert did the, the contest for the, um, the lightsaber green screen fight? <laughs> yeah. Scott, did you? I did. Yeah, that yeah. was good. Yeah. So, uh, super, super quickly for listeners that may not be as big a geeks as, as, uh, um, uh, Scott and Kevin, the, uh, tons of people on the internet uh, were like making their own videos of lightsaber fights, uh, and so Stephen Colbert decided, hey, he would do this funny contest. He would pretend to be fighting with a lightsaber in front of a green screen and make the video available to all his fans, and he would have a contest with prizes for the the, the free the three fans that make the best scene using his his green saber uh, his green screen lightsaber fight. And so they they showed the the two finalists on on this Colbert show, and the first one is this you know woman Lisa from from uh, you know like like Minneapolis or whatever, and she's she's got this uh, great video that she made featuring Stephen Colbert fighting the video, and then the the uh, the other finalist is George from uh, uh, Marin County, uh, California. Um, and as, as they're talking, like it becomes obvious that it's George Lucas. <laughs> yes. It was hysterical. And, and he's, he's like entered his own thing and they've like, you know, they've like cut new scenes for the movie to, to put in this thing. Um, but the best question was, you know, Steven is asking them both, like, do you own all the movies? And, uh, George, George is like, I own all of them except the first one. There, there's some dispute about the first one, <laughs> <laughs> which I thought was a. A funny line. Yeah, that that and like the the SNL auditions for uh, Star Wars uh, Seven was was great too. That's what's cool about Star Wars is the the entire ecosystem around it is also awesome. Yeah, would you say that's something that Star Wars has in common with the Jason and Scott show? That it just sort of that kind of cultural phenomenon. Yeah, I think you guys just need to add a conference, right? You need to have a Jason and Scott convention, and. Uh, bring a bunch of your guests there and everything else in a certain place. And I don't know, is there, I know Scott's wearing a red jumpsuit right now, probably. I don't know what you're wearing, Jason, but uh, you know, some sort of attire for the show we could all wear. would be cool. Yeah. We could, uh, we could mix in a star Wars convention at the same time. How awesome would that be? I'm thinking it's we'll, going we'll go to be at your, that, that at Scott's new residence, which is that, uh, that the new hotel. Absolutely. <laughs> I can't wait for that. Uh, very cool. So, uh, I do, before we get out, I do want to wrap up, like we had a good conversation about where the future of marketplaces are going. I'd be curious if you had, a maybe a, a slightly more general POV about, you know, how, um, what, what retail looks like in the future. Um, like does this digital, um, disruption, like, you know, continue to play out how it's playing out now? Do you, do you, uh, see any big changes coming that the other listeners should be thinking about? Personally, I think that we're honestly really only beginning to see the beginnings of the acceleration. Honestly, I, I know that's not good news for people, but I think these large companies that are getting much larger, much faster, are disrupting on a scale that uh, we've never seen before and will probably accelerate. So 
I, I worry about things, for example, like um, even brands themselves. You know, I, I worry, I worry that uh, when you get when when a, when a company like Amazon starts doing a ton of private label stuff, uh, just a ton, uh, way more than we even we even know about, and then they introduce something with that, like a voice product, like Alexa. Uh, the combination of those two is really deadly. And, and when you think when you think about how deadly it is, it's a little scary. You know, if, if you ask Alexa to buy something. Alexa's probably going to suggest you its own Amazon brands, and that's going to run out of suggestions. And when you can, when you take the, you know, brands spend billions of dollars on, on marketing and their packaging and their look and their feel. And when you remove all of that, I mean, voice removes all of that. So I get this weird feeling that Amazon is attempting to accelerate the, not the death of brands, but but uh, taking a lot of that margin that brands used to enjoy and sort of shifting it over to itself. So I definitely see that trend coming and, and maybe even accelerating. What do you think, Scott? Yeah, it's, it's, there's definitely, you know, when you ask uh, her, I can't say it because she's right here, uh, for uh, <laughs> A-L-E-X-A, when you ask her for <laughs> uh, batteries, you know, that's going to be an Amazon basic battery. I, I think there's definitely risk there. I think brands are not really putting all that together. I don't think... You know, to Jason's earlier point, they take Amazon seriously enough, uh, and then I don't think they get the voice thing and how it really is a different way to shop, where all the packaging and all that look and feel doesn't really matter. So yeah, we'll it's, it's going to be interesting. I mean, yeah. if you think about it, mo- most things you buy on a daily basis, they're not, you know, the decisions you have to make. They're not that exciting if you have, want toothpaste or not have toothpaste. So I think Amazon has realized that, and I think they're going to do their best to sell you Amazon toothpaste instead of your own. And by the way, they'll give it to you in an hour. Right. So Amazon has been spending all this time building this gigantic ecosystem in the background. And I think you're just now beginning to see the effects of it. Yeah. Yeah. And then, you know, the counterpoint to that, uh, which I feel is ironic, but I'll, I'll do this is that, you know, when we first started channel advisor, everyone was kind of like, you had to be able to answer the Google question, you know, how is Google not mm-hmm. going to crush you? And now you have to answer the Amazon question. So these things tend to go in 10, 15 year cycles. So we'll see, you know, I think there'll be, there's some company we probably don't know the name of yet, you know, some, some dudes in a garage somewhere and uh, there will be a, you know, another competitor to Amazon that, that changes the, the tide. So um, it, it probably won't be as game over as it feels like when you're in the, in the heart of it, but uh, it is a little scary. Yeah, I mean, they even if you think about brand searches, right? So they used to be all Google. Now it's it's got to be pretty split between Google, Amazon, and eBay, and uh, and Facebook. I should say Facebook in particular. So even that, even the even the way to find products is dramatically changing. Absolutely. Cool. Well, we really appreciate you sharing your thoughts, Kevin. And, and uh, of course, being such a long-term listener, we really appreciate it. And you give us a lot of great feedback. Uh, we will try to integrate your feedback here tonight and do more kind of live questions and those kinds of things. Uh, and we hope you listen to the next 100 episodes. We will. Jason and Scott, I love the show. I, I love it. And thanks for, letting me, thanks for letting me be on. Thanks so much for being on. Jason, continuing with episode 100 listener appreciation, we are excited to welcome onto the show Ted Fafelski. Ted is on Twitter as Ted 
TD underscore gives G I V E S. And he's always one of the first people to start a conversation after we put a show out there. So uh, not only is he an avid listener, but he's also very timely uh, on, on his downloads and listens. Ted lives in Austin, Texas, and is part of the e commerce startup community there. He is the father of three boys and co founder of Simply Tap. Welcome to the show, Ted. Hey, guys. Well, thanks for having me. I always enjoy your show. So I'm glad to be here. Um, on your podcast as well. We are thrilled to have you, Ted. Um, Scott mentioned that you're currently the co-founder of Simply Tap, and we're going to get to that in just a minute. Um, but as you know, when we have guests on the show, we always like to get a little bit of the color about uh, their career matriculation and uh, how they got where they are. So can you can you uh, give us the Reader's Digest of, uh, of uh, how you got here? Yeah, definitely. So uh, my career kind of started you know, out of college with a degree in finance, going straight into international business development for the World Trade Center. Uh, so I, I did that for about a year and a half and then found my way down to Texas um, on a consulting gig, which, you know, ultimately um, led me to my actual degree in finance. So started with a boutique firm here in Austin, Texas called Arthur Financial Services, doing uh, technology valuation for the energy and oil and gas industries. And so I always knew I wanted to start my own company and, you know, um, God willing, gave me an opportunity when my co-founder of Simply Tap moved down here from Knoxville about six years ago. And so we, you know, we kind of met online in a way uh, before Tinder was big or before Meetup was big, uh, just through some some blogs, and uh, we hit it off, and he had a great idea. I had a great idea. We mashed them together and started a company, and off it went. Cool. Yeah. Well, we really appreciate listening to the show. When when did you hear about the show, and when did, did when did we kind of pick you up as a listener? Uh, well, I've been – I think I've listened to every episode for the last, uh, I'd say, uh, maybe April 2016. So coming up on a year and a half or so. And um, what, I was, what I was looking for when I found your, your show was some smart guys with some opinions around the, the e-commerce and commerce space. So um, when I found yours, not only did I find it interesting, but I also enjoyed listening to uh, the, the give and take you both had. And so obviously you guys spend a lot of time covering the world of, of Amazon because it's such a big part of the current ecosystem right now, at least how it affects everyone, um, both from an employment standpoint to an idea standpoint to an infrastructure standpoint. And so I thought that was something that I hadn't necessarily heard uh, the level of detail. And so that's what really gravitated me towards uh, to, towards your podcast. And, and you guys are super consistent. You would come out with with good episodes, one after another. And so I could listen to them, you know, at, at normal speed, whereas most of them, they, uh, you know, you speed them up a little bit. You get to about, you know, 1.7, maybe 2x, and you can get to them faster. But I, I've sat, you know, through a, a regular speed with you guys since the beginning. So, um, and then obviously I started to follow you guys on Twitter and um, your website and reached out and, you know, tried to, find out as much about you guys as possible to make sure the stuff I'm hearing in your podcast is legitimate. And I, I think it is. So cool. Cool. Our uh, yeah. devious plan uh, is working. We have, we've 
pulled you into the the evil web that we have woven. <laughs> yeah, you have. Yeah. So, um, your your addiction to uh, Starbucks, though, Jason, is a little bit you know over the top. I hear that mentioned every so often, and I just wonder how much Starbucks does this guy drink if he takes it with him on trips? Isn't that enough? Isn't it everywhere already? Yeah, so. it's a, it's a little bit of a problem. I, I actually had a moment this morning. I uh, I. A huge line at the Starbucks, so I thought I'd be a really advanced user and do mobile pay to skip the line. And I'm, <laughs> so I do mobile pay, and I'm sitting there waiting, and it never comes, it never comes. And then I look at the phone and realize I sent the mobile pay into a different store. Oh yeah, I actually saw your tweet there, but they were nice enough. I thought that was a really good. Oh my god, they were rock stars. They when they realized what I did, they made my drink for me anyway. Didn't charge me and uh, save my day. Well, that's. I think they probably they probably listened to your show, so they're like, well. You know. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Ted, any uh, favorite guests that we've had on the show that, that kind of come to mind? Um, favorite guests. You know, you guys have had so many good ones over the years. Or, well, since I've listened over the year and a half. Um, not really. You know, everyone seems to be pretty good. And I'm not a big names guy, so I really don't remember yeah. well, anyone that jumps jumps out. That's like, wow, I, I'm glad you guys had that on there. Uh, because I was to a couple of them, uh, and I always mash them up. So, so no, sorry. No, I, what, they're all so good that you can't pick a. It's like <laughs> picking one of your favorite children. It, it's an ever. Well, I mean, I can pick that, but uh, <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Uh, you know what? I one of the episodes I really enjoyed was when you guys decided to put a, a token name on the new checkout process or shopping experience from Amazon. And it seems like every time that they come out with a new way to deliver a product or a service, you know, you guys come up with another acronym for it that is really hard to explain or, or remember or say, but you guys use it as if it's a thing. So Hashtag I really J-Watt. appreciate that. That's, that's the one. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. So I thought that Jay Watt was, I think, here in Texas, I think of J.J. Uh, Watt, uh, which is um, you know, obviously a football player. A much that, bigger deal. Well, yeah, a little bit bigger deal than Jay Watt itself. But maybe someday it won't be. You know, he'll retire. He'll go into the announcer booth and Jay Watt will still be around. Yeah, so. I feel like it's always going to be safer to say to uh, Jeff Bezos that Jay Watt's not a big deal than it's ever going to be to say to J.J. Watt that he's not a big deal. Uh, <laughs> Well, you know, I mean, there for people who follow Jeff Bezos and Amazon, I mean, he has been bulking up. There has been a lot of memes lately with him, yeah. you know, looking like Arnold Schwarzenegger. So, I mean, no, 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 he looks totally fit, but he still looks like maybe JJ's <laughs> right arm. <laughs> yeah, fair enough, fair enough. So it's because uh, when he's speak- working out, he's listening to the show, so he's got hundred hours of exercise. Right. Exactly. So uh, one of the fun things, you know, obviously as you guys cover Amazon. Uh, and, and kind of all their to-dos and how they affect the rest of the industry is obviously here in Austin, Texas, Whole Foods has been a staple of one of the corporations and kind of a, a hallmark for what it means to be Austin, right? It's this, you know, upstart that started, you know, 25, 30 years ago from, hey, I just want to produce and, and supply wholesome foods that are, well, you know, you can't find in general grocers. And so obviously with the news of them acquiring them, I was really excited because my office is about a block and a half from their headquarters. And I, I go there quite frequently for lunch. So I know the prices of everything. I know the people. And you know when the announcement was made that Amazon was essentially going to acquire Whole Foods, 
uh, I walked in there and the place was just on pins and needles. But to be fair, you know, the day that the acquisition actually went through, you know, obviously I went back, I was expecting maybe a sign or, you know, everything to be saying free on it because it's, you know, or delivery or something, you know, um, but I didn't see any of that, but the people were in good spirits. And so I thought that was at least initially a good sign that, you know, the communication between Amazon and Whole Foods is, is going to be good enough or, you know, smooth enough to where what makes Whole Foods, uh, Whole Foods, you know, t- typically that experience, hopefully won't get kind of washed away by technology day one. It's going to maybe gradually, you know, go in that direction. So I thought that was nice because um, I know a lot of people were scared, at least here in Austin, for, for that acquisition to actually go through. No, I, I think that is true. And, I, you know, certainly have to say the day one experience was remarkable. I, I, you know, I think we've all been super impressed with how much they got done in terms of integration on that, on, uh, you know, that, that first day of uh, under Amazon control this Monday. Yeah. I don't know what you guys experienced, but headquarters never moves. You know, they, they've put in new payment systems. They put in new terminals. They put in new ideas. The app never works. Like, this is the last place they ever touched, so it's weird because it is headquarters. It should be, you know, a, a kind of a flagship. You'd think they would get that one right straight away, but there was nothing integrated in, in the headquarters. It was just like it wasn't even signed. There was nothing, nothing at all. <laughs> so, uh, ex- except for some commentary about why why the employees couldn't use Alexa for something. So that's funny. Yeah. It, that's a common thing. So the the headquarters store, the store that's closest to the headquarters for almost all retailers, like always has this unique character. And like one of the things is it's almost always run by a totally cynical manager who's not impressed by anything. Right. Because mm, yeah. you know, think about it. Every vendor that's ever called on Whole Foods has gone to that store and they explore that store and they probably like stopped and talked to the manager about how important they were to Whole Foods and all that sort of stuff. Uh, and, you know, of course, all the senior management from the company shops there and all those things. And, like, if you were going to be starstruck by by the executives coming into your store, you wouldn't do very well in that that uh, headquarters store. So the the surviving manager there tends tends to uh, usually be a guy that, that uh, walks to the beat of his own drummer. Yeah, I think that's definitely true. You know, I've met quite a few of their their executives uh, being so close and, you know, calling on them from time to time, whether it be something that I was working on that I wanted to show them or just some general curiosity. They've they've all been pretty open, even though they do get solicited constantly, uh, but, but they've been pretty open. I've been able to uh, have some pretty good conversations and coffee and whatnot, have lunch with them. So I haven't in a while. Obviously, they've had other things on their mind, but sure. but uh <laughs> They've been a they've been a really great bunch um, for as large as they've become. So I'm excited to see what happens to them. Not to make this a an episode about you know about Amazon and Whole Foods, but uh, I think it's going to be exciting. And I think there there's going to be some growing pains, but ultimately it's going to really drive uh, the industry as a whole towards better things from a consumer perspective. No, I, I totally agree. I do want to change topics, though. Uh, we mentioned you're the co-founder of Simply Tap, uh, and uh, tell tell us a little bit more about that. Yeah, absolutely. So, so Simply Tap is a cloud-based payments 
uh, company. The idea was born from uh, my desire to want to do something in a meaningful industry. Uh, being in, in finance, specifically in the energy world, I thought it was just phenomenal how you can take this material and it just runs everything, right? And I, I started looking at the world around me. I said, you know what? There's, there's something very similar to, to oil and gas, and that is currency. That's a, a, you know, money, basically. It's financial systems. And so uh, with a degree in finance, I said, well, that's pretty perfect. And I did about three years of research. And finally, when Doug came down uh, to Austin, he had been working on a, a specific, uh, not to get too complicated, but a, a specific um, architecture, software architecture for doing cryptographic-based payments. And today, um, that that system is the one we've created, and it's used on, on over 500 million devices worldwide, mainly Android. Uh, it's called Host Card Emulation, or HCE. And so when we came together, we I saw that, and I said, Doug, this is this is what you've made here. Your idea here is phenomenal. So I, you know, put my business development hat on and my marketing hat, and you know, we started the company. And since then, you know, we've we've had large bank clients and small bank clients from around the world. Um, but ultimately, you know, over the last year, we've said, well, there's a whole lot of green space here in the United States. And so we're going to create a new a new mobile payment and a new shopping experience called GAIN, G-A-N-E. And so that's really what, what we as a company have been working on this past year. And so uh, we're looking forward to, to launching it. Uh, over the next month or so, and you know, kind of see where it goes. But you know, it's uh, it's been a fun ride. We were venture backed. We have great great VCs and Verizon Ventures and Lightspeed Ventures and Blue Sky from Canada. So um, it's been fun and it's been exciting. And I know Scott, you uh, have gone down this path in your previous life, and obviously now with Spiffy, um, you know, you've been around the block. But um, it's this is my first time accepting someone else's money and then requiring to return that back to them, you know, a hundredfold, if you will. So, so it's, uh, it's something that I'm very, you know, thankful. I've had the chance to experience and grow a team and build a product and market that product. Uh, it's all been, it's all been very exciting and it's all been very kind of, uh, nice to do it here in a place like Austin where there's so many resources to, to learn and to grow and to kind of pull from. That's awesome. Congrats on the funding. The, uh, we just had, I don't know if you heard it or not, but we had Shan from Zola on, and I believe Lightspeed was an investor in those guys. They're, they're very active in the e-commerce spaces, I'm sure you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, ours wasn't really – like a, we were a core payments technology, mm-hmm. and, and the patents we have around it are, are, uh, are, are very, very – strong um however as a small company it becomes uh delicate to put it the least and how you how you handle yourself uh so unlike many of the things a light speed around commerce invests in which is more on on platforms that are to enable commerce or speed up commerce or uh, grow commerce from a kind of facilitating position. This one was was more of a linchpin to make mobile payments actually happen. Um, so it's a very technical 
technology that we use and that now Visa, NASCAR, Amex, and everyone around the world leverages. Um, but yeah, Lightspeed is a is a wonderful venture capital firm. Obviously, they're not based in Austin, and we were fortunate enough for for them to seek us out at the time. Uh, that doesn't usually happen, but we were in a space that they really liked. Uh, one individual there, and um, you know, they flew in, introduced themselves, said, "We want to give you a bunch of money." We said, "I don't know if we can trust you," you know, and and the the dance began, you know, over six months, and then finally they convinced us that they were going to. <laughs> they were we're gonna steal everything from us and uh and we so that you know the story goes on so that that's a great story and just just to make sure I have it right so simply tap uh is almost a b two b play that would license technology to other folks that would use it for for mobile cloud based payments and then gain which is g a n dot i o is a consumer-facing app that you guys have launched that that's sort of an ecosystem that leverages that technology do i do i have that right yeah you've got that right so it's it's g-a-n-e um dot i-o but that's that's fine i mean you guys don't have any listeners so it's just me gonna be listening to my own podcast now jeff bezos isn't gonna find your app (laughs) oh good i don't need him finding anything that he can want to read and when you guys say host card emulation uh, yeah, I'm taking a, a wild guess, but so you're using the NFC chip in the Android to sort of spoof the NFC antenna that would be in a NFC enabled piece of plastic. Is that kind of true or no? Am I totally wrong? No, you're you're quite right um, with a couple technical differences. So an NFC radio is simply just a radio. Uh, you know, it can. It can pass just about any protocol. NFC uh, is a particular protocol that everyone leverages, um, or I should say what people know as of NFC. And so what we essentially do is we take that cryptographic uh, element, which is typically considered a secure element, uh, and we host that in a remote server. So at the time you want to make a payment, what we've done is we've, we've incremented the cryptographic element a number of times uh, and then sent those essentially loaded transactions ready to be used down to the device for storage at a time of payment over nfc or really any means we deliver that that cryptographic element that's then merged with the transaction itself so it can then be validated on the back end by a large processor um, or any processor really that that would process that particular um, issued product. So it works with just about any, every, it's a universal standard now. Um, but yeah, it's, it's on Android devices. It was on Windows devices um, and BlackBerry, but obviously those aren't around anymore. So Got it. it's and now so, Android. So one burning question. So uh, like, Obviously, newer Apple devices have an NFC radio in them, but like yeah. heretofore, they haven't opened up that radio to all <laughs> the useful things we'd like to do. It it almost sounds like they're starting to. And I thought I had read um, that they were going to start opening that up in some some limited form. Are you up to speed on that at all? Is there any any hope in the future of of getting NFC functionality out of the the Apple? Well, I'd, I'd like to preface this comment by no one knows what Apple will do until Apple does it. Um, but we do know Apple quite well. 
And what I what I'd like to say is it was great to see them. It helped the entire ecosystem when they chose to adopt, uh, you know, NFC technology as a form of payment. Uh, there's great advantages to opening it up and leveraging a architecture that we've, uh, you know, um, kind of created for the industry called post credit emulation. Uh, it would offer all the things that, that you might like to do with that particular type of radio or frequency uh, and making the experience that you have with the device and the world around you much more interactive and much more powerful, potentially. Now, they have recently opened up what they would say the read ability for their NFC chip, or the, uh, which allows you to simply hit a tag, an RFID tag, um, and then if there's a URL based there, it will then pull the URL up just like you were to go to a website or provide you with information uh, based off of the product. So one of the examples of this is RFID lock tags on very expensive bottles of wine. Typically, this is seen in China uh, or areas where you can simply refill a bottle uh, with bad wine um, that charge the good wine prices. And so what this opening up in a way of Apple allows them to do is now you can just simply walk up to the uh, the bottle of wine in the store, tap wherever the you know, the logo is, it says tap here, learn, learn about our product. And it will then either provide you information about that particular product, or it could potentially allow your mobile device to download a coupon or a code, or um, take you to a website where you could learn more about that particular product, where it came from. Maybe it could be pulled directly into a, a health app where hey, it scans and says, no, this is no good for you because it has X, Y, Z in it, and we know you're allergic to X, Y, Z. So it's a great step forward. It's going to be used specifically for marketing, uh, and it's not necessarily fully opening their their NFC stack, as as people in the industry call it. Cool. All this uh, fancy payments talk is over my head, but uh, uh it makes me ask how you feel about Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies because I'm <laughs> I'm going to assume you have a you've spent a lot of time thinking about that. Gosh, you know uh, when we when we were raising money or money was given to us, I should say, Bitcoin was all the rage uh, in Silicon Valley, and you couldn't get through one meeting without them asking what's your Bitcoin play. And I'd scratch my head and say, look, you know. If the government doesn't take it, this is my general stance. Uh, if the government doesn't take it for, uh, if you can't pay your taxes with it and the government can't regulate it, then it will never exist here in the United States as a main form of currency. Not to mention that there are very large incumbents like Visa and MasterCard oh, and the banking system as a whole that will not allow a cryptocurrency as a de facto currency to exist because they already have the compute power, they already have the infrastructure. So for Bitcoin as a currency to become mainstream, and many of my friends will hate me for this because they're, you know, Bitcoin uh, yeah, I don't know, enthusiasts, I'll put it that way. Uh, it, it just won't happen. There won't be support in the ecosystem. And the incumbents can simply squash it through regulation or through, um, through just bearing it through uh, marketing dollars. So... You know, as a currency, no. Blockchain is more interesting. There's other alter, you know, alternatives, but you look at it and you have to compare the computing cost of blockchain with the existing cost of computing uh, cryptographic keys. It's kind of, you know, 
it's it's not cheaper by any means. A decentralized decentralized system is not cheaper. You're just spreading out the cost across the nodes. And if those nodes one day decide that it's too expensive for them, well, guess what? Your your network of nodes gets you know crappier um, because now you're losing compute power. So I don't know. It's going to be a big fight. It's better suited for countries with currencies that are you know have wild uh, deflation or inflation. Um, so it won't most likely won't here work here in the United States for ever until Visa accepts it as their de facto. It's interesting. I, in general, would would have agreed with you and share your skepticism. But the one thing I didn't see coming that seems like it's helping to make it slightly more mainstream is um, ransomware. <laughs> very fair. Very fair. Um, you know, the problem is you can as an organ. Well, I see the problem is, and you're right, ransomware offers this this way. But, you know, you don't necessarily want to go and find and hold Bitcoin and no one does, right? So if, if it's not an everyday occurrence and, and the payment systems as they stand today know this very, very well, if you can't get someone to change their habits and Amazon and anyone else would know this too, then you really have no chance, right? A one-off purchase from a retailer uh, like Kohl's, even if they give you a deep discount and you never go back, you didn't win anything. You just discounted your products and services and you're not, you're not making any movement towards uh, them adopting your brand or knowing your brand any better. You just trick them or force them into, you know, of the through the economics of it to experience what you want to experience. So, you know, it's going to be a long fight. Um, ransomware will always exist. Being paying people with cryptocurrencies, hopefully, you know, obviously it's not a good use case. It's um, not mainstream use case. You know, fraud and theft and blackmail. But it is a use case. And, uh, you know, maybe if it keeps growing and everyone's like, hell yeah, I need to have a little jingle of Bitcoin in my pocket because I know I'm vulnerable and someone's going to hack me and all my pictures are going to be frozen or stolen or my business, whatever. Um, you know, I mean, that's that is a use case. But if you had some I mean, of the pictures a- on your phone that Scott has on his, you'd want to carry a little Bitcoin. Uh, <laughs> 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 I think you wouldn't. I think you just leave them locked forever. That way, you couldn't even get back to them. You couldn't. <laughs> but yeah. So one uh, one quick uh, kind of final question. You're you're there in Austin. Uh, you know, it's quite a hotbed of of uh, not only e-commerce but but high tech and investing and things like that. Um, do you? Is there kind of a community of e-commerce people? You've got the shipping guys down there, like ShipStation. You've got that Core Metrics Bizarre Voice. Uh, uh, Brett Hurt and his kind of crew are down there. Um, how does that work? And, and did you pick Austin, or you just kind of ended up there? Well, so I didn't pick Austin. Uh, I was actually living in Chicago before I moved down to Austin, and it was college buddy. Before he got married, he had four months. I had some time, so I took that consulting gig. Here in Texas, and I could live anywhere. So he was in Austin. I said, "Sure, sounds like a good place." Um, but as far as the, I'm, I mean, I'm glad I'm here. There's a ton of opportunity, and it's a great, great community. But as far as the e-commerce community goes, you know, it's um, it's definitely here, and it's because the size of Austin is so much smaller and more accessible than, say, Silicon Valley or, or New York. Um, 
it's easy to get in touch with and have conversations with, but I can't really say that there's a, you know, I don't go out and play poker with, with five other, you know, individuals who are all in the payments or e-commerce space, even though it's, there's so much of it here. Um, it doesn't happen as much as you would think. Um, and I've often thought about starting a, you know, a morning club of some form around e-commerce, but what, what I've found is there's, there's anecdotal stuff that everyone runs into when you're selling things online, when you're building logistics for whatever product you're selling. And everyone has a little bit of a different take, which is nice. But at the end of the day, commerce is commerce. And, uh, you know, the tools that emerge as, as best, best use case tools or advantageous tools, they all seem to be in your hands all at the same time. Um, for whatever reason, the sales guys that are getting those tools, you know, out to the businesses have have a, a good Rolodex to call on. And so, you know, I think that the individuals here in Austin are, are quite, you know, in tune with the heartbeat of e-commerce. And since they don't have necessarily the, the strange enough, the social constraints of some of the bigger cities that have a little bit more complexity to them, uh, they, they're able to try things very rapidly here. And I think that's one of the attractive you know, reasons why large corporations not only cost, but there's a spirit of entrepreneurial uh, exploration really is alive and well here. And um, yeah, so the the e-commerce community here is strong, but I wouldn't say, you know, we don't all get coffee every morning. Um, but uh, you can definitely get coffee with just about anybody you, you'd want. I, there's some There's some places better than Starbucks. I have to tell you that though, you know. I totally accept that. I just to be clear, uh, the you only drink to, Starbucks. The Starbucks for me is that they're <laughs> consistent and ubiquitous everywhere. I definitely make no claims that they're they're the. Well, so is, the so is McDonald's. So yes, is this McDonald's. is fair, fair point. But uh, let's just say they they're they're consistent, ubiquitous, and they they meet my particular requirements. I lived in. <laughs> Portland, Oregon for 10 years, and you, yeah. you could actually be, like, stoned for walking into a Starbucks there that was considered such a low-brow coffee house in, in Portland. But I survived it. Um, so, Ted, uh, definitely sounds, you know, in addition to the robust VC community or, uh, you know, uh, entrepreneurial community in Austin, it's also, I hear, a pretty good place to to get some barbecue and some good eats. So uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a foodie town for sure. So if you guys come down, I'll take you around. Um, We'll get some Starbucks. We'll get that India. Get some barbecue after that. Perfect. <laughs> yeah. We'll uh, see some Jason music. Scott Roadshow. Yeah. I'm in. I'm in. I might wait till the rain stops. Um, yeah. Yeah. Thanks, guys. <laughs> but, uh, Ted, a lot of rain. Uh, we, we do definitely want to thank you for being part of episode 100. Uh, we're super excited about it, and we'll certainly look forward to having you back at episode 200. Wonderful. Well, thanks guys so much. And I look forward to listening to every episode twice from here on out. Thanks, Ted. We really appreciate you listening to the show so diligently and uh, following us on the social channels. Best of luck with Simply Tap and Gain. Thanks, guys. 
Well, it's happened again, even with our dramatically extended length for this special 100th episode. We have still used up all our allotted time, so certainly want to thank Rads and Kevin and Ted. We really appreciate you taking the time to join us in celebrating episode 100, and we hope to have you all back for episode 200. Uh, As a reminder, listeners are always welcome to continue the dialogue on our Facebook page, Uh, And for sure, if you like today's show, please go to iTunes and give us five stars. 100th episode is a perfect opportunity for you to go finally write that review and give us the five stars. Uh, It really helps us out and we appreciate it. Uh, And of course, as a reminder, uh, we're going to be podcasting uh, at shop.org this year in a couple weeks at the Digital Summit in Los Angeles, uh, uh, near my hometown of San Diego. So excited about that. So that's going to be September 25th through the 27th. Of course, we've negotiated a 10% discount for listeners. So if you go to the shop.org website and use the the promo code JS10, the number one zero, uh, uh, you'll be able to get that discount. And it's a a URL that only a digital analyst tagger could love, but we'll, we'll put it in the show notes so you can click on it. Well, Jason, congrats on 100 episodes. It's been a pleasure working with you so far. And thanks, everyone, for listening. We really appreciate you uh, not only just listening, but really engaging and and challenging us to think about new things and talk about new topics. Uh, It's always this is what really keeps us going is the listeners. So we really appreciate you sticking through the Jason and Scott show for 100 episodes. Absolutely. And until next time, happy conversing. You've been listening to The Jason and Scott Show. For all the latest news and trends on e-commerce and shopper marketing, subscribe to us on iTunes or visit www.jasonandscott.com.